0: back Tales of Gore listeners. We're back at the episode Big 43. This one's going to be a fireside chat. Actually, it's coming at a time where I'm going through and fine-tuning all my audio adjustments on OBS right here. I've gone through everything, so I've been having a hard time for the past year fighting different calibrations for my microphone with my Shure SM7B mic and kind of figured some stuff out here. Had to quit listening to YouTubers. and to go research with the, each different Filter did like the gains, the compressors, and all that good stuff did for my microphone to get a better sound. So I spent a day with that today, and I was going to do a test fire. So, meanwhile, there's no sense wasting some good test and broadcast time. So, um, on episode 43, we're actually going to go through. I've been thinking about this for a while. Super fun. Um, I have this book interview with an exorcist by Father Jose Antonio Fortea. What I like to do is go through in look how different theologies differ between Catholicism and Protestant. And it's not so much difference between Catholicism and Protestant. Let me correct that thing between the slump, the Catholicism and the Western church Protestant into Western church and define that. And the difference between the Western church thinking, which Catholic Protestant, the supernatural and demonic versus what the second temple Hebrews believed. And again, I covered this in my book, cosmology and demonology in genesis 1 through 11 so if you guys have that book and based on what you know let's read through here and see where we go oh my gosh yeah that is kind of not the the view the second temple hebrews had about their their spirituality and demonology and angelology that's our mileage really differs right now so let's do this here let me pull up interview with an exorcist i think it's a well-written book has great information But let's see how our mileage differs from Second Temple Hebrews to what current exorcists believe. So I'm going to jump over to the bottom of page 59 and item 53 in Fortea's book. Why does sacred scripture say that demons are in the regions of the air? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the powers, against the rulers of the present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the regions of the air. Actually, it's not regions of the air, it's in the spiritual realms, but different translations, right? We're looking at Ephesians 6 11 through 12, but the one Fortea quoted was wickedness in regions of the air. When we torque it like this, it's, it's, it does take on different meaning, but we have to stick to. What Paul said, he said, in the spiritual realms or heavenly realms, not regions of the air. Regions of the air would locate it down here in our, in our universe, right? Our atmosphere, our universe. And that's not what we're looking at right here. You kind of fuse something together. We're going to talk about this here. Well, anyway, let's continue on. So sacred scripture, when speaking of demons, always locates them in one of two places. Hell, that is to say, that which is below. Okay, that's true. That's what we call shoal or in the air. To say that they are in the air is a way of saying they are everywhere, but they move about with complete freedom. St. Paul repeats this again when he calls the devil the prince of the air, power of the air, in Ephesians 2.2. 2. Okay, correct, right? When the Bible says that some demons are in hell, does this mean that they are not on earth tempting us? This is probably the case. What also seems to be the case that there's no difference in suffering between those who are in hell and those who are tempting mankind now he unloaded a lot of stuff here when we're going to ephesians 6 11 through 12 as father Fortea quoted here the exorcist we are not talking about regions of the air remember i told you before that cleansing streams kind of quoted the demons is doing this too as, as 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 this ephesians 6 10 through 12 whatever referring to demons it's not it's referring to regional spirits not demons Demons are unclean spirits. And I covered that in Cosmology and Demonology in Genesis 1 through 11, my book. We'll hit a little bit more upon this today. So there's a confusion here. Again, um, we are not in the Western church, says that Ephesians 6 11 through 12 is about demons. It is not. It is about regional spirits. Regional spirits are divine spiritual beings that were the creation of God. Some rebelled and some didn't. The wicked ones who rebelled are the wickedness of and the spirit realms, and the rulers and principalities that Paul is talking about. Paul is referring back to Genesis 11, where God divided the nations among the Elohim. That's Deuteronomy 32.8. I've covered this a couple places. I'll put this down in the show notes too, so you guys have it. So again, we are not talking about demons. Demons are not fallen angels. They are not. And we cover this in other places too. I just posted today, too, on my uh, Field Guide Spiritual Warfare Facebook page. Dr. Michael Heiser just did an awesome podcast on the book of Jude, and he covers this stuff, too. We're starting to have this um, reawakening based on the information we're finding the Dead Sea Scrolls, basically what we're finding the, um the texts that were available to the Second Temple Hebrews and the Apostles. We need to realign to what they were looking at, and this is not it. This is this is a, a, a divergence from what they believed. So this is not true, what Father Fotea portrayed in his book. It's, just, it's inaccurate. Let me say it's not true, it's inaccurate. So when it says the demons are in hell, does this mean they are not on earth tempting us? No, this is not true. The demons are on earth, and they are oppressing us, and they can tempt us. So what else seems the case, and reading from this book again, is there's no difference in suffering between those who are in hell and those who are tempting mankind. That's not true, because those who are suffering are in separation from God. And those who are suffering here on earth could be suffering through trials, or could be suffering through other things, or maladies, or, you know, whatever. So, no, I don't agree with that. So let's move on to topic 54. When Jesus was on earth, did the demons know he was the Messiah? That's, that's in his book. we we'll move on to his next question, Doctor Father Vertega's question. As we have said, demons do not know everything. That's true. They do not even know all that happens in this world. They are among us, but they come and go. The demons watch over the saints in a very special way. They know that Jesus was a man who was especially holy. They could see that he never committed a sin or even an imperfection. The devil, though, steeped in sin, is a consummate appraiser of virtue. Though the demons could observe Jesus living a perfect life, his divinity is an invisible attribute. When Jesus began performing miracles, the demons could have discussed among themselves whether he was among the prophet or Messiah. They would have increasingly begun to suspect that Jesus was a Messiah, not only because of what he did, but also because of his teachings. While the apostles, in their weak moments, may have been inattentive to Jesus, the demons certainly heard and remembered every word he said. It is clear that Jesus was not ordinary man because he performed miracles that were beyond the angelic nature, raising the dead. At first, though, the demons could argue that it was not Jesus who performed his miracles, but God. Though they could not distinguish whether he did them by his own power, they only saw their effect. But it soon became clear to them, from all the biblical and theological signs, all the miracles, and Jesus' goodness, that this man was the incarnate God. I want to stop right there. This isn't true you're seeing demoniacs when Jesus pulled ashore and they go why are you here before your time they recognize Jesus God incarnate immediately they knew who he was they knew he was coming it's like what are you doing here now you're not you're not supposed to be you know you know this is not the lord's day of judgment we know this well what are you doing here they they recognized Jesus immediately without you know they didn't need to see that he was sinless so I think there's a um, a weakness in theology here that's just it's meh, I don't know that's this isn't true so this knowledge can be seen in the biblical stories of possession. When the demon asks, what have you to do with us?" See, there it is right there. He even quotes it, but he missed it. These words were indicate that they knew Jesus was God, the same God who had condemned them at the last judgment. See, they knew it's kind of interesting how he went around circle, but didn't catch it. So he thought the demons recognized him by his miracles and stuff. Oh, he must be God. They knew right away. He was God. They feared him coming. They knew God was coming. They knew when it came down, he was. Yeah. So it wasn't by they heard his sermons and stuff. Like Ortea said, nope, 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 nope. This is inaccurate. But it's interesting he raised uh, Matthew eight twenty nine. Like I was raising too. They they knew right away because that was one of the signs of Messiah coming in the spirit realm that you'd have this power and authority. And they felt his authority. Nobody else had this authority before him. And so it's it wasn't a miracle. It was they knew it was Jesus Christ standing before them. They could see it. Plus, they can see in the spirit realm. They can see who Jesus was. They could they could see it. You know, you probably had a different look to him in the spirit realm. When they're looking at this guy and it's like, oh my gosh, it's Jesus. We're, we're doomed. Is this the is the is this the day of the Lord? You know, are you gonna wipe us out now? And that's what they're asking. So 55. Another question: What order do the three temptations of Jesus in the desert follow? Is there any significance to this order? I'm gonna answer yes, but I want to see what he, this this says. In the synoptic gospels, we see how the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness immediately prior to the start of his public ministry. These temptations were those of bread, power, and worldly recognition. Now then, why would the devil tempt Jesus to worship him when he did not give him a chance to break his fast? In the end, why did he tempt Jesus with jumping off the pinnacle of the temple if Jesus already had rejected the glory of the whole world? Why is the devil's last temptation seemingly so minor? At first, it seems logical the devil's temptations of Jesus would have started with the greatest sin and not achieving this. The devil would have moved on to lesser sins, so if he would first tempt Jesus with idolatry and follow up with something that is not even a venial sin, such as breaking a voluntary fast. One's first impression is that the succession of the devil's temptations does not follow logical order. Actually, the succession of devil's attack follows a more subtle logic. It follows the temptation of Jesus that a soul suffers when it decides to move forward with a living spiritual life. That is why there is a deep symbolism in the three temptations. The first, devil first tempts Jesus with things of flesh, symbolized by the bread. This temptation symbolizes what the ascetic calls the night of the senses. If the soul resists this type of temptation, all the bodily appetites, there is no reason for the devil to continue tempting in the way because the soul has fortified itself against it. Having passed through the night of the senses, the devil then tempts with the world. The soul feels the beauty and the attractions of the world that it has left. This is a sim- symbol of the night of the spirit. Here, the soul is tempted by the world in which it lives, but no longer enjoys. If this temptation is resisted, one final danger remains: pride. This is pride in the gifts one has received from God. These three temptations symbolize the phases of temptation we go through in spiritual life. It has to be added that concretely. Those which the devil used with Jesus were especially subtle. Point one. First, the devil tempted Jesus not with the sin per se, but with the imperfection. He was asked to stop doing a good, his fasting and turn stones into bread. Point two. Then he was tempted with the spiritual good for the world. It is as if the devil were saying, Make a sign of acknowledgement toward me and proud as I am. And as a reward, I will put myself at your side. All he asks, you acknowledge me and I will help you in your work of saving souls. Are you not humble? Are you not capable of lowering yourself a little more for the eternal goods of, of souls? This temptation is packed with tremendous spiritual meaning. Jesus was not asked to stop being God. He was only asked to humble himself a bit more. Could not the just one who had so many sacrifices for souls make one more? It is the temptation to do little evils as to a great greater good. Okay, this stuff's getting quirky <laughs> point. Another point. The final temptation is out of pride. To publicly re-recognize is to prescind from the fact that it is God in His time who exalts His servants. Here the devil is saying, even though God decides the time and the moment, why not bring the moment forward? Why remain in obscurity when so much good can be done by coming out to the light in a glorious, spectacular way? We can see that this third temptation is the most complex and subtle of all. Okay. The temptation, this is me speaking, the temptation with the devil in the desert after he was the Holy Spirit entered him was to Jesus had to experience all the failures of the, of, um, of the son of man, right? Israel, Israel failed in a desert. Israel failed with the manna. They failed. Give us food. Give us food. We're hungry. So when Jesus fasted for 40 days, he had to be tested just as the Israelites were tested and had to pass. And it's just, you know, every one of those steps along the way, you know, Satan was quoting what? Satan was quoting Psalm 91, you know, um, call your angels before you. Like, I'm not going to tempt my Lord, my God, you know, and it's something that they they failed in the desert, right? They made that the golden calf and all this other stuff. So Jesus didn't fail with, um, you know, sitting towards idolatry or anything else. He goes, no, I'm going to steadfast on my God and I'm not going to tempt him and I'm going to stay to the law. I'm going to adhere to the law, just in the way my um, the sons of man, the Israelites in the Old Testament, had failed. He was redoing all the tests that Israel failed to prove that he was Messiah, and he was beyond sin. He could pass the test. He had to do this to go to the cross. Satan knew it. Satan was a divine spiritual being who was there and knew all this, knew the battle plan. He knew it. The stuff is just—it's just amazing, you know. It's like and even tempts him with um you know, with all the, I got all the, the worlds and the kingdoms where he get that from, you know, Satan acquired it, you know, the principalities, right? Back to Ephesians 6, 12, that's required it, uh, at the Tower of Babel. Part of a lot of it was handed over during the first fall with, um, Adam and Eve. He acquired, you know, dominion over man. He took that. He didn't really have it, but he thought he took it. And his whole next thing happens where, you know, Genesis three, he did have the kingdoms, right? But they weren't his. They were to the elohims but he was the the dark leader of the the bad Elohims right it was satan well, satan was his title so this stuff here is going through it's it's very esoteric yeah it's just it's interesting it's just like i said I cover a lot of this stuff in um my book cosmology and demonology so it's 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 interesting to see how the um when Catholic exorcists covered it but there wasn't theology there it was like there was more there was a Catholic theology or a catechism but it didn't apply the true second temporal Hebrew beliefs that Matthew knew right right in Matthew and, and Luke quote this they knew it they knew what the stories were it was a hyperbole back to Moses and his people out in the desert wandering they were back in the desert Jesus had to pass the same test they did why did he not want the loaf of bread? Because it, the people had survived a manna, right? And do the fast. It's This is interesting stuff here, how it kind of gets. Like I said, this is Western church theology. I'm not going to beat up on the Catholics. When you go to churches and stuff, they'll, they'll tell you the same thing, and they won't link it backwards to the Old Testament. So anyhow, I'm going to make this short, because this was going to be a mic test, and I'm going to do some editing to make sure I got the mic right. But, you know, if it's interesting to you guys for a fireside chat, I might go through this book and do it some more because there's interesting stuff. I might do it more laid out, more thought out and just jumping through and picking stuff out. Anyhow, love you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great 4th of July. Don't lose your thumbs and God bless you guys. God bless America. Amen.